everyone welcome to then now whatever the wrestling podcast episode 38 continuing our tape trader diary series i'm your host the doctor among men duncan joyce and i'm joined once again by the hardest working triple h mark in show business mr kyle cambry hi it's good to be back on the show very good to be back yeah had a very nice response to our previous episode proved pretty popular we're actually only about 30 listens away from once again having our most popular year in terms of soundcloud listens anyway that's fantastic so just everyone keep spreading the word and hopefully if we get a similar sort of response to this episode then we're gonna smash that a huge thank you for everyone who listens to mine and duncan's podcast we do these podcasts because we love wrestling and we just like to talk about it so to know that people just listen to us ramble on about the fun wrestling that we watch then it's great thank you how you holding up in general kyle yeah i'm doing all right unforeseen circumstances last week kind of put us off hill a little bit but yeah i'm doing okay how are you oh, that was understandable i'm all right really did you do anything neat for halloween not really this is sort of our first halloween in the new house because last year we actually moved into the house on the 31st of october so we we wasn't really in that halloween sort of mood so this year we you know we did a pumpkin we went for a walk there was a few fireworks going off it was all right i I suppose we'll we'll kind of build on it as the years go we watched grimfest the international festival of like horror here in manchester they did a weekend film festival over the halloween weekend online obviously and there were some nice films in that i think some of our favorites were homewrecker which is about this kind of like fatal attraction kind of woman who makes out that she's bumped into this woman at a coffee shop but really she's been having an affair with her boyfriend for ages Ooh, wow there's a neat little short called shh where there's two really aggrieved parents who wind up killing each other when the baby won't stop crying. Mm. My favourite from Halloween night was this film called Spare Parts. This is very kind of Mad Maxi style film where this all-women punk band kick up a fuss at one of their gigs and they wound up getting kidnapped and... Like there's a bit of body horror to it where they get weird limbs and stuff with weapons instead of their ar- their arms and they have to like fight in this ring of trucks. <laughs> wow. See those those type of things, they sound like I've been watching the Twilight Zone. You know where they look like standalone episodes, but just a bit odd. Is this from the modern one that Jordan Peele was doing? Yeah. Yeah, I quite quite like that. I mean, my dad got me into the old versions, so I've watched those. This new sort of iterations. I'm quite enjoying it. It's quite fun. Nice. I've got vague memories of the 90s ones, like people sending up gold discs with images of the human anatomy and like explaining what all the human race is about, and then it's suddenly coming back, and they're like, oh, there's aliens on the way. 
Yeah. I mean, my favourite of the, the oldies, like further back than the 90s, is William Shatner is on a plane and it's like there's something on the, the wing of the plane. It's like post-stamped James T. Kirk acting, which is just incredible. It's supposed to be a horror, but you you end up laughing at his expressions. Oh, no. <laughs> we're talking about Halloween not just as a timestamp for when we're recording here, but we're actually looking at a show from October 30th, 2000. But it's oddly not very Halloween-y. No, it's not. I don't think... It, is there any mention of Halloween on there? I didn't catch anything, no. no. So, yeah, we're continuing our Tape Trader Diaries with the episode of WWF Roy's War from October 30th, 2000. It took place in the Fleet Centre in Boston, Massachusetts. No idea what the attendance was, but as far as TV ratings goes, it got a 4.9 Nielsen rating. I'm really not sure what that means. I think it means 4.9% of everybody watching television watch that show. They don't use Nielsen points anymore. They use actual viewership estimates, so it's proper confusing. This is a show that back in primary school, I got from my mate Perry. He recorded it off Sky for me and Seb and I went round to Seb's house and we watched it together. Perry was actually a guy who I'd do the Dudley's 3D with in the playground. Oh, the good old memories. <laughs> and there was even one time we had our school disco and I actually went dressed as Bubble Ray Dudley. I remember that. I had me old Adidas glasses on because they had bigger lenses i found a gilet out just to like pretend to be like the vest thing and i had some old action man pajamas that were camouflage yeah i remember that that's brilliant yeah, so we went we went around 3d and people on the dance floor as well <laughs> oh we were the cool kids <laughs> we so were <laughs> i can't remember why we asked him to take this show in particular i think October of 2000 timestamps it right around the time of the Who Ran Stone Cold over storyline. And I think me and Seb were just really excited to see Stone Cold back and just wanted to watch as much as possible. Yeah, I think around this time, it was sort of new storylines that we hadn't necessarily seen before. So I think that was a big plus for the, the viewerships seeing this like new direction that we were going down with a few people injured and a few people kind of getting pushed. One of whom kind of got a semi-push was the perpetrator of the Who Ran Stone Cold Over running over, Rikishi. Very, very weird. Yeah, and watching this episode back, it's very scary how amalgamated Jay and Jimmy are in his facial expressions. <laughs> yeah. I know it's their dad, but I didn't realise how alike they were. This is just over a week removed from No Mercy. Lots of newsworthy stuff going on then. Austin tried to run a car into Rikishi and got dramatically intercepted by a police car. Kurt Angle won the WWF Championship for the very first time. Yeah, huge push. It was big because he won it so quickly into his career. Yeah, in one calendar year, he had the European title, the Intercontinental title, the King of the Ring, and then finally the World Wrestling Federation title. 
obviously it was all based around a sort of crisis of confidence in the rock rikishi was having a very strange sort of relationship with him yeah and i think i'm not too sure i mean i need to keep watching the next few episodes but from what i can remember not much of it gets resolved and explained that much i mean at the time we were just excited for all the storylines but i'm just trying to think back there was not a lot of this that got resolved Possibly not, but our next episode might be able to delve further into that. Yeah. Do you have any other memories about this time period, Kyle? The beginning of the Stephanie and Triple H Kurt Angle triangle that was amazing and very funny, and I really enjoyed that. And around this time as well was the edge push that we were coming up to. They're my big memories around, around this time. It was good just before WCW came into it. I thought that they did some real good stuff. I remember this because he had just got a makeover. Yeah. Because uh, it switched networks in America onto MTV. So I had this nice flashy new look and we started getting some slightly bigger superstars on there. So I remember Triple H wrestled Perry Saturn one time. Kurt Angle defended the WWF title against S.A. Rios. Yeah, I remember that. that. That was such a bizarre putting together. One of the most year 2000 matches you could come up with. And yeah, Kane wrestled Road Dog one time. And I recorded that episode off the telly. But I don't think we're going to really be able to do any Sunday Night Heat shows for our series here. Because Sunday Night Heat in Britain was apparently quite different to how it was in America at this time. The editing or... Yeah, so what they do, because it was on MTV, they'd host it live in WWF New York. Right. It'd usually be Michael Cole and some guest host, and they'd do it like magazine style, and then they'd cut to matches in the arena and commentate all of them. Whereas over here in Britain, when it was on T4, on Channel 4, it was just like any other wrestling show. Ah, right, okay. Oh, and personally as well, I think this is the best stage Roy's War had. Yes. I'm trying to think of the word. I can't think of it. Very metallic anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the little arches down the side of the Titan Tron and the big screens either side. Industrial, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the word. So we begin our show with a recap of SmackDown from last Thursday where Austin promised not to touch Rikishi unless he was absolutely provoked, and he got busted open by a pipe shot from a mystery assailant, which allowed Rikishi to beat him up with a superkick and a bonsai drop. And tonight they're going to meet in a steel cage. Very random, I find, this steel cage match. Just plopped in there. Well, I think this is similar to what I was talking about with Sunday Night Heat. Raw had just changed networks as well. It just started its deal with TNN. Yeah. And so they're trying to convince people to move over because some households didn't have TNN and they're just trying to keep the push going to I'll try and make up for that shortfall. Oh, and then we get that legendary intro. Yeah. 
love it. They're my memories of the very first SmackDown and SmackDown 2 games, just hearing that music. Yeah, that was on the intro to Attitude as well. And I'd just play it just to see footage of what wrestling was like back in 1998. Yeah. Commentary team, Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. Right, people give Tony Schiavone shit for his <laughs> level of hyperbole. But Jim Ross here says, it could be the biggest night in Raw history. <laughs> Rikishi's going to get squashed in the half hour main event. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> The actual main event of the show is The Rock and Chris Jericho fighting in a number one contenders match. Like the sound of our lineup there? I do. I mean, on paper, when you look at the matches that we've got, you think, right, we're in for a, a hell of a show here. Just maybe not the biggest in Raw history. No. Out to kick off the show is the ninth wonder of the world, China. And she has one of my favorite wrestling accessories ever. The C2000 Pyro Gun. <laughs> Do you know what? It, when watching this, it brought back so many memories because there was, there was a few things that just escaped my memory of looking back, and this was one of them. I was just completely taken aback with the fact that China had her rocket launcher, as I used to call it. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I remember that. Oh, it's fantastic. I loved giving this my character on No Mercy. <laughs> you got any other favourite wrestling pyro, Kyle? I always enjoyed X-Pac's pyro when he's in the ring. Mm-hmm. And trying to make sure that he does it at the same time as the pyro. <laughs> Sometimes it was perfect. Other times it was way, way off. It probably depends on how wasted he was. Yeah. <laughs> Another in-ring pyro one is Kane's coming out of the corner posts. Yes. But I I really like your theory. I've still not tested it yet from the last episode in regards to the ring pyro. I've not watched any stuff. Uh, We might have to wait till next episode to try that because we'll get to why Kane's not here in a minute, but he's not on this show. No. China, poor lass. She's being attacked on two fronts here. She's got her ex-boyfriend and intercontinental champion Eddie Guerrero, who's slagging her off for doing Playboy. And then she's got the right to censor, who was slagging her off for doing Playboy. Right to censor was the first sort of faction that I absolutely hated. The theme music, what they wore, just everything about them, it just grated on me. It's one of those things that it's totally got cult vibes, even though they're blatantly trying not to be a cult. Yeah. They would be Trump supporters now. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> they're exactly the kind of puritanical people who yeah. go around and make a living off wrestling. Like, oh, violence is wrong. Sexuality is wrong. Yeah. Let's spread this message by wrestling in the WWF. oh speaking of sunday night heat china shows us clips of heat from last night when eddie guerrero brought out the cat dressed up as china once more and i actually remember this and i was flipping my lid when this turned up on the show because like i remember when seb and i were watching this tape i was like 
oh my god, that was on heat. I saw that. I saw something that mattered. Because <laughs> usually it's the other way around. Like they show clips of things from Raw on heat. Yeah. And like heat just exists as like a bumper to remind people of what, what's going on on the important shows. But here they were like, oh, yeah, this is this is what happened on Sunday Night Heat. And like, I saw that with my own eyes. I know. Do you not think that they could have picked a better name for the cat calling a Chinette? What do you propose, Kyle? I'm not sure. I can have a think. But Chinette definitely isn't up there in my top 20. I wouldn't even have thought of Chinette. That just seems a bit, I don't know. Mm. China says that she's over Eddie because she found out who he really is. Eddie has challenged her, but she says that her relationship with Eddie was one of her biggest challenges anyway. So she wants to up the stakes and ask him to come out and put his intercontinental title on the line. He broke her heart, but now all that's left to break is Eddie himself. And that cues the arrival of Eddie and Chinette once again with the roses, the worst weapon from No Mercy. (laughs) So it's our first match of the evening for the Intercontinental title. Eddie Guerrero defending against China. China jumps Eddie at the bell, gets a neckbreaker, but China does a distraction, which allows Eddie to regain control. And Chinette starts putting in the cheap shots. And the ref blatantly caught her at one time and did fuck all about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally like, oh, this isn't in the script. I'm not supposed to see this. The thing is, there was quite a lot of times that that happened in this Raw. Like that sort of, oh, that wasn't meant to happen. Oops. Yeah, the refs are very inattentive today. Literally, the next thing I've got here, low blow by China with a ref distracted. Yeah. <laughs> she hits a handspring elbow and a DDT, and then mares Chinette into the ring, and Gorilla presses her into Eddie. But then, like a bad rash, out comes Stephen Richards, hitting the Stephen kick, which allows Eddie to get the free count and retain his title after 2 minutes and 40 seconds. Mr. Ass comes out and runs Eddie off post-match. Anytime I'd hear JR say Mr. Ass, all I can think about is Mr. Garrison saying Mr. Hat. Mr. Hat! Mr. Ass! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's exactly the same diction. <laughs> Mr. Ass! What do you think of the match, Kyle? It wasn't the best. I think Eddie carried China a lot through that. That's all I've got to really say about that. <laughs> very, very brief match, but... Yeah. I don't think there was really anything wrong with it here. You put over two, maybe even three storylines all throughout the segment. So nice way to open the show, I think. Yeah, opens up a few roads that we're gonna we're gonna see. We see a limo arriving backstage, and out comes the World Wrestling Federation champion Kurt Angle, and he's with Edge and Christian. Team Eck. <laughs> <laughs> These three were always brilliant together. Oh, yeah. I actually chuckled when Kurt Angle came out with his training gear on, his belt. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, I remember this. <laughs> it's Edge's birthday, so they've all got the night off, and Kurt doesn't have to defend his title. And it's all thanks to Stephanie, who also comes out of the limo, but, oh, no, she has a cold. If she's really that ill, 
does she have to come to work? And secondly, does she really want to pass it on to everybody? Like she did when she shook everyone's hand. <laughs> yeah, she seemed pretty happy enough. Like, oh, happy birthday, Edge. Let me shake your hand and spread my germs. Yeah, Take my common flu. Christian made me laugh talking to Edge. You were totally born today. <laughs> and then the little high five and the thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I just love their Bill and Ted gimmick. Yeah. Oh, jeez. We get clips of the XFL draft that took place in Chicago two days ago. No, you can no. go to XFL.com for the results. Oh, they didn't know what was around the corner, did they? No. Al Snow's at ringside bribing the king with candy because he wants King to team up against Raven and Taz with him. Yeah, and that was a bit of an odd segment, just coming out and pleading. Mm. On to our second match of the evening. It's our old friends, the right to censor again. <sighs> this time they're represented by Bull Buchanan, the good father and Ivory, and accompanied by Stephen Richards. And they're going to take on Team Extreme. It's the tag team champions, the Hardy Boys, and the women's champion, Lita. The old school Team Extreme Hardys. Oh, yeah. The purple and green and stuff like that. Yeah. Although Jeff has shredded his shirt to absolute bollocks here. What has he done? (laughs) Ivory took issue with that as well. She cut a promo about them not taking responsibility for being role models with their clothes and the hair colour and the company they keep. Such a disgrace. Idiots. Right to censor, as we mentioned, very kind of cult-like, very uniform attire here. Yeah, but the Valvinus always the odd one out with his white pants. Does he not understand that there's a uniform for everybody? I know he looked like an ice cream man. <laughs> Have you got any favourite matching tag team outfits, Kyle? Eminem. I always liked how they they matched up their stuff. Can I have the shield? Do they count? Because I, I just like their get-up. Oh, they totally count, yeah. Yeah, the shield then. That's the comparison I always draw to. When the Riot Squad first debuted and it just looked like three wrestlers thrown together, I'm just like, look at the shield. They look like a unit. They look like they're on the same page. I've always had an issue of single competitors getting thrown together and, you know, giving them tag team opportunities rather than actual tag teams. You know, sometimes it's paid off, like The Bar, Cesaro and Sheamus, but then other times it it hasn't or they've just done it for storyline purposes, like Shawn Michaels and John Cena. Why? The worst one was... John Cena and Batista had the titles for all of one week when they were feuding. Yeah. JR informs us that this is an intergender match, so the women are allowed to actually wrestle the men in this. I suppose at this time, like intergender matches going back weren't as popular as what they are now. You know, they weren't as frequent. Yeah, in the wider wrestling world, maybe not, but like China opened up the door for that and yeah. specifically with mainstream Western wrestling, this is probably the biggest it will be in quite a while because 
WWF started off with China and then WCW would kind of be the copycat and have Medusa and Asia wrestle as well. Yeah. And ECW had Jazz compete with men around this time too. So you had a little bit of a, a pocket there, but it's not like, say, today where it's pretty widespread on the independent circuit. Even more so, like, it's quite frequent that you'll get intergender matches, like, not just a tag team, like, singles matches as well. Yeah, totally. Lucha Underground were really good at that. They did the best job of booking a, a true intergender promotion where everyone was just on a level playing field with each other. Yeah. We start off with Jeff dropkicking both of the male members down. So Ivory tagged in and invited Lita to tag in, and she obliged. Lita took her down, but then Bull got the tag, and so the Hardys come back in with some stereo leg drops. Matt got worked over a bit, and Bull does his really cool leap up to the top rope and spring off. I love that. Yeah, fab. I love big lads that just have the one athletic move and they just keep going back to it. Yeah. There's a huge running DDT by Matt. The good father shoved Lita off the apron to prevent the tag. But then he missed the whole train and Matt backdrops Ivory to get the tag to Jeff. We get a double poetry in motion stacked up in the corner and Lita spears Ivory. And then all of Team Extreme do a... I don't know, like a triple DDT or a double-double DDT to Ivory and Bull? Yeah, I don't know what you'd call that. Yeah, double-double DDT? I guess so, yeah. It's, it's proper, like, human centipede shit. <laughs> yeah. Both of the right to censors male athletes catch Matt's crossbody, so Lita dives out onto them and takes out all the pile. And then Jeff fucking swantons Ivory. What a guy. Well, speaking of what a guy, look who's out like a bad rash again. Stephen Richards, Stephen Kick, and he rolls Ivory on top of Jeff, and that gets the right to sense of a victory after five minutes of solid tag team action, action action-packed match. It really came to life near the end. Two straight segments with RTC getting put over as utter shits. Yeah, strong, strong match. Yeah, like you say. I just don't like Right to Censor and seeing them win again, I was like, for fuck's sake. But it sort of sets the Hardys up for their next feud, the result for this. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of Hardys feuds, we cut back to Edge's birthday party again, and they're overwhelmingly excited about the prospect of the Hardys losing. Yeah. (laughs) They've got little party hats and everything, and... One of Christian's presents that he gives to Edge is their brand new T-shirt. It's the type of comedy that makes me laugh, but other people would just think that it's stupid. Edge is thrilled by this, like, oh, killer friends. <laughs> Triple H arrives, concerned about his wife. Christian quips, hey, since the game's here, why don't we play some? <laughs> He's just being... A good husband and looking after his wife, like you, Mr. Angle. You turd. <laughs> Kurt is, is also concerned about his business partner. And Steph has to run out to the bathroom. Meanwhile, Legend Christian are playing rock, paper, scissors in the background. 
<laughs> like, oh, scissors totally cut paper. <laughs> we come back from a commercial break and see Rikishi backstage. He's asking Tony Gurria to tell The Rock he's got something to say to him. And if The Rock doesn't want to talk, he'll go and find him anyway. To me, that line makes no sense. He's trying to be authoritative. And he's like, yeah, well, you go tell The Rock that I want to see him. And if The Rock tells you to go away because he doesn't want to come and see me, well, I'll go and see him anyway. So why don't you just go and see him, Rikishi? <laughs> exactly. The whole thing. <laughs> Stop wasting Tony Guerrero's time. Oh, my God, Kyle. I'm so thrilled with this next segment. <laughs> it's our goodwill ambassador and the European champion, William Regal. UK, UK, UK. He's got a bone to pick with all the ancestors of the people in this arena over the Boston Tea Party. Of course he has, true heel. Throwing perfectly good tea in the harbour is ghastly. <laughs> he also informs us that modern Bostonians have been misbehaving too, so he's prepared a list of 127 ways in which they can improve their lives. He didn't get very far, though, did he? <laughs> Commentary will probably be very thankful of that. JR quipped, It's only a two-hour show! <laughs> Apparently, you shouldn't eat chowder and beans without a napkin. You know, to be fair, it's messy. And, oh, local sports teams suck. <laughs> but then he's interrupted by a big gong. And it's The Undertaker coming out on his motorcycle. But unfortunately, they've overdubbed Kid Rock. And it's the, you done it now, theme. Love seeing The Undertaker. I'm going to miss that guy. <laughs> he hits the last ride to William Regal, but he nearly couldn't quite get him up. So it like his a, head dips. Ruggle that last ride. <laughs> yeah. The thing was, back when we watched it, Seb and I thought that was legitimately part of the move. <laughs> faking it, faking it. No, I've got it. Because <laughs> we hadn't seen a last drive before, so we just thought it was like, oh, yeah, he's, he's just like making him dizzy or something. <laughs> Taker tells Regal, I think you talk funny. And then rides off into the sunset. But did you spot when his bike he parked his bike on the ramp and he almost went backwards back down the ramp yeah <laughs> he didn't put enough of the clutch on <laughs> i enjoyed this segment tremendously yeah <laughs> are you as big a fan of the goodwill ambassador gimmick as i am kyle yes a hundred percent oh this would infuriate me when i was a kid i'm like is this what they think british people are like <sighs> I thought it was brilliant, but at the same time, he was always the character in any wrestling games that, I don't know if anyone else was similar to this, but when you first boot up like a new wrestling game, I would never go to career mode. I would always go to like exhibition and like pick Triple H and just beat someone up, you know, just to test the moves and stuff. Yeah. Always be regal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) Yeah, he's fantastic. He wrestled Naked Midian at the pay-per-view the previous week. And the expression he put on his face when he forced himself to say Naked Midian is absolute gold. Oh, Kyle, 
it seems like Rikishi took your advice and he's <laughs> confronting the Rock. Good lad. Rock makes it clear he wants nothing to do with him, but Rikishi's still, oh, oh, I just need a little help with this match with Austin tonight. You're in a steel cage. How's Rock meant to help you? Well, I suppose at the time, Rikishi and Austin, we weren't to know that a lot of it didn't actually take place. <laughs> so the Rocks would have actually helped. Rocks? Like, oh, the Rocks got your back all right. Yeah, very odd. He's very actory the way that he walked out of the room as well. I noticed that. He was just going to hide to the side of the door. Instead of opening the door and continuing to walk, he didn't. He opened the door and stepped left. Oh, no way. fine that it was pre-recorded and it was all an act and not real, and that upsets me. That's pushing your luck there. Yeah. Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. Earlier today, Trish Stratus tried to redecorate the newly christened TNAPA office with a velvet tablecloth and some flowers. Tess and Albert injured the acolytes a few weeks ago and forcibly taken over their office. I mean, I quite liked the idea of the candy in the cigarette bowl or ashtray, should I say. But, you know. Yes, I'd much prefer a candy jar than an ashtray that I'm just never going to use because there's no way I'm smoking and giving myself an asthma attack. Yeah. Crash barges in. He was supposed to be the kind of caretaker for the office while the acolytes were injured. He's all, what have you done to the place? And hilariously, Tess and Albert are like, see? He throws the tablecloth over at Tess and challenges him to a match. Tess closes the segment by threatening, you're done, Max Mini. You're not fooling anyone. <laughs> Max Mini. Do you know who that is, Kyle? No. <laughs> I can't remember what they called it. WWF had like a dedicated little people division in 1997, but they were booked kind of like WCW's Cruiserweights. Yeah. There's a particular name for that style of wrestling in Mexico. I don't really know what it translates to over here, but yeah, Max Mini was one of those guys, just kind of like a little person luchador. That cues our third match of the night. It's a hardcore rules match. Tess coming out with Trish Stratus is taking on Crash. Crash threw a trash can in the ring and then Tess immediately threw it back out at his head. (laughs) I love that. He leaps off the stage with a bin lid for a two count. And backstage, we see the real hardcore champion. It's the lethal weapon, Random Steve. Random Steve, Random Steve fills out any match card. Random Steve, Random Steve fills out any match card. (laughs) Random Steve, yes. What a ledge. What a legend. Crash choked out Test with his T-shirt and then got a close near fall after making Tess knock Trish Stratus off the apron, and then also gets a near fall with a tornado DDT. Did you catch this? JR was mentioning Adam Sandler is supposedly going to be on SmackDown promoting Little Nicky. Yeah, I caught that. Did he actually go on SmackDown? Yeah, it was like he only turned up in like pre-recorded clips, hanging out with people backstage, and 
It was just like, look, all of our superstars, Adam Sandler wants to hang out with. Oh, but he especially wanted to hang out with The Rock. And that's where they ended it. Uh, I mean, it's showing like front row in the crowd or anything like they usually do with celebs. Yeah. Very weird. Like, and you wouldn't know he was doing anything for Little Nicky. It's not like when Samuel L. Jackson was in WWF New York as Shaft. Another near fall for Crash with, with a top rope drop kick, but then Test kicks Crash's face off with his big boot. <laughs> he put Crash in the trash, whacked a crutch into the trash can, and then with Crash still in the trash can, hit the top rope elbow, and that got the three count after three minutes and six seconds. What did you think, Kyle? I mean, it was just your normal average hardcore match, wasn't it? Pretty much just a bunch of moves, really. The trash can spots at the end were the biggest highlight for me. Yeah. We then get a very Alan Partridge moment from Kurt Angle here backstage. His present for Edge for his birthday is a signed 8 by 10 of Kurt himself. (laughs) And the caption read, To Edge, I think I know you. Your friend, Kurt Angle. It's true. Absolute gold comedy. But it just gets better. Oh, yes. Steph is insisting that she's better. But then Christian finds <gasps> kazoos and streamers. Hey, look at this. Kazoos and streamers. Oh, streamers rule. Yeah. Long live the stream. Yeah, and long live the zoo. Hey, listen to this. I'm going to play our music. <laughs> you think you know me. You think you know me. Pat, you think you know- all right. Get out. I can play your music, too. <laughs> Edge is like, streamers rule, which is exactly the opposite of WWE's policies on streamers right now, currently. Yeah. (laughs) Let people twitch, for fuck's sake. That cues the legendary moment where Edge and Christian play their own theme song on the kazoo. And then Triple H was like, leave it out, lads, Steph's ill. And then they play Triple H's theme on the kazoo, and that finally makes him kick him out. Brilliant. He kicked them out of her own birthday party. What a dick. They were getting a little annoying. <laughs> no, I'm all with that. Yeah. Michael Cole then interviews Stone Cold Steve Austin and plays him a clip of a sneak attack from last week and the shot of Rikishi battering him again. Austin points out, yeah, okay, Rikishi did exactly what he said, but he didn't do it alone. Luckily, Commissioner Foley has lived up to his word and has given him this cage match tonight. He invites the coward who hit him with the wrench to come to ringside so he can see him whip Rikishi's ass. And there's a pretty funny line here where Austin says, well, you know, Rikishi could pray to God, but he's probably watching Raw with a cold beverage in his hand like everyone else. (laughs) He's got a bounce Rikishi off of each side of the cage leave him bloodier than Austin was on SmackDown last week, and then beat him in the middle of the ring with a Stone Cold Stunner. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. He's just good, isn't he, Austin? Yeah, he's set out his star for tonight. Kurt Angle is relieved that he's not facing Austin, and you could see from the look on Triple H's face that, yeah, he kind of agrees too. Yeah. Stephanie promises she's going to go home after this match. It's our fourth of the evening, probably the top of the hour main event. 
It's a steel cage match. Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on Rikishi. And Rikishi comes out to his bad man music. I'm a bad man. Give me bad man. Bad books. Person won't feed the crooks. I won't bear women. Who cause bad hood, bad news. I'm making my own rules. I actually think that that is a better theme than Rikishi's. You <laughs> <laughs> did a cracking job then. <laughs> well, it starts off too quiet. Yeah. Like, the, the drums come in and you can barely hear it. That's, that's my one issue that I have with Samoa Joe's music. You know when it does the big roar at the beginning? Uh-huh. And then when the beat comes in, it's not as forceful as you would imagine it to be. It's not my favourite. It's just like Stewie Griffin playing the tuba behind the fat people on Family Guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is what you mean here, Kyle. They're brawling on the ramp to begin with. Yeah. The cage can't contain this match. They eventually wind up in there and they kind of mess up the Lufez press. Yeah, they did. That didn't look right. Mm. I think what it was, Rikishi, when he hit the ropes the first time, you could hear his head hit the strut of the cage. And so he tries to go in slightly slower on the other side so it didn't happen again. But that totally messed up the time. And so he didn't quite meet Austin's jump properly. Yeah. Rikishi recovered and does the asalanche in the corner. But Austin low-blowed the stink face away. And then the clothesline made Rikishi do the Rikishi bump. They fight outside the cage again, so I guess you don't win by escape. No. And Austin absolutely walloped Rikishi right in the head with the cage door, and it's busted him wide open. Rikishi fights back with a low blow, a super kick, and a massive leg drop. And King recalls Rikishi's match with Val Venus in the cage, back at Fully Loaded, where he splashed him off the top of the cage. You know, putting over how dangerous Rikishi could be in this environment. The only problem is, out of nowhere, Austin sends Rikishi to one side of the cage, then the other, and hits the stunner in the middle of the ring for the free count. Austin won at 5 minutes and 13 seconds. Hmm. A bit of a battle, that, wasn't it? For the time they got in, yeah. I thought it was a lot better than what they did with each other at No Mercy, but it didn't really do Rikishi many favours. No. Like, finishing it up this briefly. It's quite good as, like, a moment of catharsis, and what I will say is, at least you got to have the babyface keep their word. I always like that. Yeah, I agree with that. Referees have to help Rikishi out of the ring in the post-match during the break, and that puts us around halfway through the show. So, Kyle... You put the call out to people on Twitter. Yeah, so I just thought we're coming up to the 30-year anniversary of The Undertaker at Survivor Series. So I just wanted to put out a call out there to see what people's favourite memories are of The Undertaker. And I believe we've got a few back. Our friend Lee from the Roar's Nitro podcast gave us a great bunch to start off with here. One of his favourites was the whole Kane storyline. That sort of issued a new era for The Undertaker, didn't it? The introduction of Kane and Paul Bearer really sort of 
skyrocketed the whole character and storyline around The Undertaker. Yeah, really expanded the mythos, the, the mythos, m- m- mythos. Yeah. <laughs> he also mentioned being scared of him as a kid when he'd put people in body bags. Yeah, that was quite creepy. Yeah, that's a really claustrophobic one as well. Like, it's not like caskets and coffins like they'd go on to use. It was just really creepy. Like, body bags creep me out anyway, rightfully so. But the, the fact that he was using him at the end of matches to then put his opponents in was just extra creepy. Yeah. He also brought up his Hell in a Cell matches with Shawn Michaels and Mankind. Is he not missing one? I don't know. Lee. He's not going to talk about the Triple H Hell in a Cell match. Lee, we do have beef now. <laughs> no, he gives Triple H his due here, Kyle. One of his other highlights is graciously letting Triple H into the main event scene in 1999. Oh, right, yeah, okay. <laughs> and he also mentions the worst choke slam ever to Hulk Hogan at Judgment Day 2002. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see you there in about a dozen episodes' time, I think. Yeah. We also get a write-in from our mate Ashley Clements at AshleyClem8 on Twitter. And he wanted to bring up Undertaker returning at Judgment Day 2000. It was his first experience of The Undertaker. Didn't know the Dead Man gimmick. And yeah, that's exactly the boat I was in. I think that's one of my big ones, seeing his return of, you know, a completely different character. Obviously, knowing The Undertaker before then, briefly, and then he disappeared. And then seeing him come back as this, this badass, you know, was was really good to see. And that, that kind of sticks with me when anyone talks about The Undertaker. The weirdest thing for me was sitting down to watch Heat, uh, week or so after that and they added Undertaker to the titles riding his motorcycle and I was just like why is Triple H riding the motorcycle what's going on (laughs) the other one for for me I mean this in no way takes away from his biker gimmick that he had because I absolutely love the biker gimmick I know a lot of people didn't like the biker gimmick but my two sort of big memories looking back at the portion of wrestling, let's say, that was sort of more mainstream in his biker run was when he'd been buried alive by Kane in his biker gimmick, if you will. And then the whole teasing of him coming back and then the following WrestleMania, you know, Kane's doing really well in the Royal Rumble. You hear the noise and that puts him off. And then he comes back to beat Kane at, at Mania. I loved all that because he came back as a dead man. Oh, no doubt about it. I made sure to bring this up on our last tape standing episode when we were talking about WrestleMania 20. It's one of my favourite moments ever in returning to that gimmick. Yeah. I might have brought this up back then as well, but I remember having, there was a limited edition Undertaker magazine in 2003 and he was asked about being the dead man again in the interview they had there and he was like i don't know 
maybe something catastrophic will happen to the Undertaker and I might have to put on that cowboy hat and ride out into the West again. And, well, something catastrophic happened to the Undertaker and there you are. Yeah. <laughs> Those are my favourite things come around about a year afterwards. Like That was when he really kind of got back into the rhythm of the character and stuff. And back in 2005 when Randy Orton challenged him. Yeah. Going into the WrestleMania 21 match, I was like, what's Randy Orton really going to do with The Undertaker here? And they totally took me by surprise. And it, you know, it was rough in places, but I, I enjoyed that match tremendously. And that whole rivalry with Randy Orton seemed to really kind of reignite him in the ring. Yeah. Was that the, the Bob Orton one? Yes. Cowboy Bob Orton got inducted in the Hall of Fame the previous night and so he came out with his cast and tried to scream over i remember um one of the segments that they did for that where undertaker was playing on his mind and like he looks at his dad in the changing room and his dad's got all the blood coming down oh god shakes his head and looks back and he's fine (laughs) (laughs) oh so ridiculous but yeah in 2007 and 2008 he had two of my favourite rivalries with Batista and Edge. Every single match in those series of matches, just so thoroughly rewarding. Yeah, and I suppose, especially with the Edge one, Edge says it in the, the documentary that's on the, the network, his biggest go-to for that Mania match was the fact that Undertaker was already in the ring waiting for him. That's how much trust Taker had in him to come out first. You know, Undertaker has this traditionalist streak and, you know, championship matches should really have the champion come out last. Yeah, but with with anything Taker-wise, Taker's always last, isn't he? Because there's been championship matches where Taker's been last. Well, yeah, like, with entrances, you'd usually expect Undertaker's entrance to be the talking point. Yeah. Uh, That was a nice little trip down memory lane there. Definitely. Hopefully, they don't do anything daft at Survivor Series and they've already announced the appearance of Undertaker and hopefully we get something nice and not something really cheesy and and corny and Saudi Arabia-esque. No, absolutely. So we return backstage with Triple H, Kurt Angle and Stephanie and Triple H tells Steph, you know, just go home, draw up a bath. She gets off home and Kurt feels really good that him and Triple H get along and, and bury the hatchet. But then literally the exact moment the limo leaves the arena, Triple H gets a big snarl on his face and, and he's like, I hope you brought some gear because you're in for a long night. Kurt's like, what? What? I got the night off. I got the night off. Love it. Oh, Al Snow's back and he's now bribing Lola with lemonade and several copies of Playboy and King's like, oh, now you're talking my language. I was never a fan of Al Snow, so these segments just did absolutely nothing for me. Oh, it's our old friend Stephen Richards again, Kyle. Yeah, with the ice cream, man. (laughs) He's talking about Mr. Ass having a repulsive name and he wants to censor it. So he challenges Billy going to a match tonight, and if he wins, Billy can't be known as Mr. Ass again. 
Billy comes out and accepts the match. But if Billy wins, he wants Stephen to kiss his ass. We never got a yes or no, just a punch. <laughs> I think that's pretty affirmative, though. <laughs> so it's our fifth match of the show, an ass versus ass match, if you will. Stephen <laughs> Richards taking on Mr. Ass. Billy hits a big deal and accused Jim Ross making fun of Stephen's white socks. Why is this such a thing? I don't know. I'm your white socks wear nerd. <laughs> I think the fact that he wants to be this puritanical dickhead is a, a bit more of a, a valid attacking point here, but you know, maybe that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> Billy got a neck breaker using the necktie for a near fall and hit the jackhammer, but Val Venus put Steven's foot on the rope which cues him brawling with China on the outside. The referee stops Val using a chair, so China DDTs Val on the floor. Billy hits a stinger splash and the fame asser in the ring, but then out comes Eddie Guerrero and wallops Billy with the Intercontinental title, which allows Steven to roll over and get the free count after 2 minutes and 25 seconds. Mr. Ass is no more. Unbelievable. So what do you call Mr. Ass now? Just Billy Gunn? I think we'll find out next time. If my calculations are correct, that makes right to censor 3-0 tonight. They screwed over China. They won their match with Team Extreme. And now Stephen Richards has even won a match. Right to censor winning three matches on Raw is worse than anything anyone can say Triple H has done. (laughs) they were booked very very strongly I think they weren't pinned on pay-per-view until Wrestlemania X7 that's a hell of a run Mm, yeah this is probably pretty predictable going off of everything else that was going on tonight Billy obviously outmatched Steven only to have his issues with Eddie catch up with him anything else on the match Kyle? No, I think we've we've covered everything. Yeah, another brief quickie. Yeah. We see Commissioner Foley backstage with Chris Jericho. He says that he sent Kane home and will give him a two-month suspension if he interferes in the number one contenders match. Do you know why Kane has beef with Chris Jericho, Kyle? No, I don't. Chris Jericho turned around backstage and accidentally spilled coffee on Kane. Oh, yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> and he even says, oh, sorry, champ. Hope I didn't burn you. Yes, of course he did. I remember now. It's coming back to me. I think we'll have a deeper dive into Kane's motive next week from what I can remember. But yeah, so far it seems to be about coffee. <clears throat> Triple H then arrives and checks that All right, so Kurt Angle defended the title on Raw and SmackDown the previous week, so he doesn't have to defend the title tonight. But Mick didn't make any mention of Kurt not wrestling tonight. He joins in with Mick's cheap pop and proposes a non-title match between Triple H and Kurt, and Mick agrees to it. He says I love it when he talks dirty and then books the match. Oh, dear. We then see some New England Patriots are at ringside and then get another recap of the cage match. 
and Rikishi's getting stitched up backstage. In WWF New York, they have a big billboard of Mick Foley's Christmas book and JR's cookbook on the outside. Did you see what the tagline was? No. Reading is attitudinal. Oh, my word. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Very corny. We see inside the restaurant that X-Pac is having a meal and he bumps into his old girlfriend, Tori. They haven't seen each other since King of the Ring when the Dudley's injured her shoulder and so she slapped him one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the people who were sat around did not expect that from reactions. But then that whole thing then doesn't go anywhere. No, I think we don't see Tori again for a few months. She'd just randomly be Raven's mystery ninja woman. Yeah, what an odd gig that was. (laughs) X-Pac injured his neck. He wouldn't be at Survivor Series. I think this is the last time we'd see him for a while as well. Kyle, WWF New York, did you ever get to visit? Unfortunately not, and I'm gutted. I'd love something like this again. Yeah, I'm sure. They were talking about we were going to get something similar in in London, like an NXT UK, I don't know, like a shop, if you will, but where they would show stuff live and things like that. All right. The one I always hear is about a physical Hall of Fame somewhere. Ooh, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be quite cool. I didn't get to see it when it was WWF New York, but when I was in New York in 2017, I went into the actual restaurant. It's a hard rock cafe now. And Mm. so I went around and I sat and had a burger at the bar. Nice. I, I always like the hard rock cafes. Like, you know, no matter where you go in the world, you know, if you go to a city, there's always a hard rock cafe. Mm. Commissioner Foley makes his way out to the ring. He made the Kurt Angle and Triple H match because they share a common bond in fighting over Stephanie. Even though it's senseless for two grown men to fight over Stephanie, he made the match to make Triple H happy, which will make him happy and make the fans happy right here. In Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> Going for goal, and he scored. <laughs> Whoever is going to win the number one contenders match tonight will get their title shot on SmackDown on Thursday. Then he gets a bit depressed about how all of these commissionary decisions are making the job a bit too big for him. So he teases resigning. It turns out He just needs some help, and he's found an assistant who personifies testicular fortitude. It's Deborah! The testicular fortitude is very high in Deborah. (laughs) We get Jim Ross yell, Good grief, King! (laughs) And appropriately enough for the scrappy do of the commissionership, King yells, Puppy power! Foley pokes fun at the Patriots at ringside, getting all horny on Maine for Deborah. <laughs> and closes by saying, I know, as commissioner, with Deborah, I will have many nice days. Oh, my word. Mick Foley is my favourite commissioner. Oh, yeah, by far. 
this is like the one time that Triple H was babyface and he'd have like little pally exchanges in the back and he'd have his gavel and he'd make decisions on the gavel and say, that's final. He was brilliant. Did you also see he had that commissioner shirt and yeah. the writing was too long? Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. He was a really great fit for this role. And he even says he regrets giving it up as soon as he did because it was just a nice easy gig and he had lots of fun with it yeah yeah backstage kurt angle is lacing up his boots and wondering what triple h's problem is christian quips he's the game all right if the game's pinned the tail on the two-faced Rekazoid. <laughs> did you spot edge is wearing his birthday present now Great. Edge says once Kurt kicks a snot out of Triple H's never-ending nose, they can have cake. And he plays Kurt's theme on the kazoo with Christian to try and motivate him. That cues our sixth match of the evening. It's a non-title match with WWF champion Kurt Angle facing Triple H. Kurt's even surprised by his own pyro, and he's still in his tracksuit. He is not prepared for this. No, not at all. Another one here where they brawl at the bell, big back body drop, and Triple H sends Kurt to the outside. He ducks a clothesline and scores a net breaker, and then sends Kurt bollock first into the ring post, only to leap off a second rope into a belly-to-belly suplex. Triple H fights back, pedigrees Kurt through the announce table. King and JR both bring up Kurt getting concussed from this at SummerSlam. That was always such a really, really big part of the Don't Try This at Home videos when I was watching. Yeah, the other one was Hardcore Holly, that massive gash in his back. Oh, yeah, that time he got oh, superplexed yeah. through the table. Yeah. Triple H doesn't go for the cover, though, and so the ref pulls him off his mounted punches on top of Kurt. So Triple H throws him off, which causes a disqualification. So Triple H goes all Crocodile Dundee here. You call that a disqualification? Mm. I'll give you a disqualification. He gets a chair. The ref grabs it. So Triple H pedigreed him for his trouble. Kurt gets walked with a chair anyway. Edge comes out, gets walked with a chair. And Christian comes out and gets pedigreed. What a prick. How dare you ruin Edge's birthday? <laughs> Kurt Angle won by DQ after 5 minutes and 52 seconds. I'm guessing this is a Triple H match, so this is the best thing ever, Kyle. The highlight of Raw, I'll be honest. Of course, yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's recap, okay? So Triple H destroys the WWF's world champion. If it was a title match, he'd have probably gone on to win it. He also destroys one of the top tag teams at that time with chairs. What a guy. And they talk about him burying people. Absolutely (laughs) not. He just builds them up. Sure he does. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is about people's first WWF title reigns being so weak. (sighs) This is Kurt's first reign as champion. And he got his ass handed to him. He did. But the opponent... It's Triple H. If he'd have had a different opponent, I'm sure he'd have done much better. I'm sure. (laughs) 
again, this is kind of like the cage match earlier. Pretty watchable, but doesn't really do anything for the newer heels. Yeah, in all seriousness, it was just a, a watchable match. There was nothing amazing about it. JR and King then plug superstars on Sunday, promises an exclusive look at the Dudley Boys filming a video game commercial dressed as footballers. Hmm. I don't know what commercial that's supposed to be for. No. They then recap Triple H twatting everyone like a twat, and Jerry's upset because his copy of Playboy got torn up. Oh. Oh, I'm sure he'll find something else to masturbate to. <laughs> Yeah. It don't take perverts much. <laughs> Michael Cole is with the two men in the number one contenders match for Rock and Trip and Y2J. He'd find a way to sneak his way in this match, I'm sure. Jericho calls Michael Mitchell Cole, but The Rock interrupts and tells us that finally The Rock has come back to Boston. Woo! Jericho takes issue with The Rock's Just Bring It catchphrase. Bring what? A Fig Newton? Or a vomit bag. <laughs> <laughs> Rock asks Chris Jericho if he thinks he can become the number one contender. Not just think, I... It doesn't matter what you think! Jericho talks about having a taste for gold, and with the coffee-fearing cane gone... All of the Jerichoholics will finally see him with the championship again. And then he rips off the Rock's catchphrase. And Rock's face at this moment is fantastic. If you smell... What? What Y2J? He's cooking. <laughs> He's like, What? That's my stick. He's like he can't fathom that this is a thing someone would do to him. I love his response. Cause the rock will try anything one time. Indeed, the rock does smell what you're cooking, and quite frankly, Chris Jericho, what you're cooking smells like 100% grade A money back guarantee. One big bucket of Canadian moose. P- <laughs> you see, Chris Jericho, you come out here and you run your mouth about how you've tasted gold. But the fact of the matter is this, is that The Rock has lived gold. And The Rock will be putting it down on anybody who stands in his way. So whether it's you, Chris Jericho, Chris Jericho's daddy, Chris Jericho's mama, Uncle Joe Jericho with the glass eye, or maybe it's Grandpa Jimmy Jack Jericho with the iron lung, or hell, it might be even Grandma Jezebel Jericho with the double X dirty panties. He's gold his next bit. Rock quips, well, The Rock will try anything one time. <laughs> but says that what Jericho's cooking smells of Canadian moose piss. Rock has actually lived WWF gold, unlike Chris Jericho, and he runs through all of Jericho's relatives that he laid the smackdown on, including his uncle Jimmy Jack Jericho. <laughs> yeah, and then what was the other one? Uncle Joe with his glass eye. <laughs> oh, with the iron lung. <clears throat> And they'll all never, ever be the same again. <laughs> Fantastic segment. They're both always really good with the segments. Oh, no doubt about it. They're great riffing off each other here. This was Seb and I's favourite thing from the tape. Seb would always love how 
when it was Jericho and The Rock, Jericho would get like little cheers and then The Rock would get big cheers. He just thought that was really funny. That takes us into our main event. It's the number one contenders match. A winner facing the WWF champion on SmackDown. Chris Jericho taking on The Rock. And watching backstage is Rikishi. Jericho wastes no time, sends The Rock off the apron before he could even do his poses. <laughs> yeah. He chokes him with cables and hits a flying forearm back in the ring, but then gets sent to the outside and into the steps and crotched on the barricade. Jericho comes back with a spinning wheel kick for a two count, but then his second rope nothing is counted with a DDT. Oh, I've never seen this before. Rock does his spit punch, but it accidentally hits the referee. Yeah. <laughs> that's bad. That's that's like his best punch. That leads to Jericho hitting a low blow and grabbing a chair. But it's a swing and a miss, and The Rock hits a spine buster onto the chair, but the ref's still out. That allows Jericho to recover and lock on the walls of Jericho. Mike Kyoda arrives, but The Rock still gets to the rope. Then hits the dragon screw into the sharpshooter, but Y2J then gets the rope. Oh boy, out comes Rikishi. He nails the ref just as Jericho got the lion salt. Oh, but Earl Hebner recovers and gets a one, a two, and the rock barely kicks out. Never mind, rock bottom, that gets the three count after seven minutes and eight seconds. But then what's this? Rikishi starts beating up the rock. He sends Jericho out of a ring, super kicks Rock, and hits a standing bonsai drop. He confesses to us all that he lied to Austin and everyone. The Rock knew exactly what Rikishi did to Austin. Rock gave Rikishi his car keys and begged him to run over Austin. Mm. Rock, you've got some explaining to do now. Well, that's certainly one way to close the show. Yeah, very interesting. Leaves it on a cliffhanger. Did The Rock actually know? Yeah, they've had this plot point going pretty much right after they came up with this story. I remember there was an old clip of Raw when the cops were interviewing The Rock, and that's when they revealed that his rental car was the one that was used to run over Austin. Yeah. What did you think to the match as well, Kyle? I quite enjoyed the match. I think Rock and Jericho have always been great performers, even in the matches that haven't been as like high profile build. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was it was a nice match. It was kind of your your average main event on Raw or SmackDown that that would kind of just usually tip that extra bit. I think this was easily the best match of the night. Just a good little back and forth fight. What I really liked was. Both men, they weren't afraid of it being babyface versus babyface. And they actually leaned further into it with the aggression. Yeah. I think it really paid off and the match had great urgency. The ending provided a lot of intrigue. You know, is the Rock Rikishi's accomplice? Is he the one that attacked Austin with the wrench last week? Mm. Very good cliffhanger ending. Yeah. You could see they weren't really properly invested in Rikishi being the big mastermind here. He was more a kind of feud to ease Austin into it. And now they're kind of progressing on to, well, okay, where does Austin go from here? Yeah, it kind of just kills it off a little bit, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it kills Rikishi off, but like I was saying earlier, it kept Austin a man of his word. I kind of feel like they're a bit half-hearted about it because it was like an unusual choice. Yeah. Like for me personally, as a babyface, Rikishi was one of the guys I was really, really seriously invested in. I was a really big kid. And so seeing Rikishi, who's like this big guy and he's having fun and he could still like deliver and he was in the Continental Champion and I loved it. I, I loved the act and wasn't really feeling him as a as a bad guy. No, I'm completely the same as you. Him in Too Cool was absolutely amazing. I didn't feel him as a heel. No, I think they kind of hedged their bets a little bit here. You know, Rikishi's now no longer the main focus, really. They're leading on to potentially other things involving other people, which I think we'll find out about on our next episode. But before we get into that, what's your overall impression of this show, Kyle? Who was your favourite performer and what was your favourite match? So I really liked Edge and Christian's backstage bits. I thought they were they were really good. The Rock and Jericho showdown where they're talking to each other. Again, that was brilliant. They're just the greatest on the mic. Really, really good. Austin Rikishi, the cage match. Nah, could have been better. I mean, the cage match just seemed a bit random and put in there. Performer-wise, without the obvious being Triple H, so we'll take him out. I'd probably say... I don't know, maybe Angle, I think, for this. Just because his character's great. He puts on a great character. Looking after Stephanie, feeling unjust when he gets put into the Triple H match. Yeah, I'd go with Angle. There was a few things in this episode that were head-scratcher moments, storyline-wise, that kind of throws you a little bit. But, yeah, overall, it was a decent episode of Raw. I had a lot of fun watching this. Very character-driven show, but all of the characters were great. Loved seeing Mick Foley. Loved Edge and Christian and Kurt Angle's backstage bits. The best match was the main event, Jericho and Rock, and their their little altercation backstage trading promos was the highlight of the show. Yeah, definitely. I'm tied between those two and Edge and Christian as far as the standout performers. They were all gold, really, and it's all in terms of their, their promo and their character work. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, pretty fun show. Can't really say there's anything I'd ask everyone to absolutely go out of their way to watch. And, like you say, the cage match is a bit underwhelming, but I'm very happy to go back and relive this. Yeah, definitely. I. I was a big fan of the Attitude Era, so any any episodes or pay-per-views that we're going back to watch, by all means, I'm, I'm in for the ride. Our next episode is going to cover the next week's Roy's War from November the 6th in 2000. Perry recorded the next episode for us as well. We were so keen on finding out what was going on. I think we'll have some very big developments in terms of Who's to blame for Stone Cold Steve Austin's injured state this time last year? Yeah, and we can do some gap fillers of the SmackDown in between. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been and watched that already, yeah. 
So that's what we'll have lined up for you next time we're on the Tape Trader Diaries. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast or on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast. We're also on Facebook. You can give us a like there. Go ahead and check out our show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a subscribe and a rating. Really help us. We're also on Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and on SoundCloud. If you head to our page on SoundCloud, you can find playlists of all of our episodes so far, as well as a playlist of all of my guest appearances on the Boris Nitro podcast. I was on very recently, once again, looking at Thunder and Smackdown going head to head. It was the go home show for Fall Brawl 1999, taking on a Smackdown that had the first ever tag team buried alive match. Mm. Check that out. And yeah, just keep your eyes peeled on Twitter for news of any new episodes. Yeah, hopefully we will get some more episodes out as normal. I think we're we're sort of getting back to our, our normal routine of one every few weeks now. Hopefully we can squeeze one more out before the year ends, but who knows. Yeah. So for now, it's a goodbye from Kyle. Goodbye, thank you again for listening. That's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road.